0: This week, on Myths and Legends, we're back in Norse mythology, and Thor's daughter is getting married to a dwarf, and Thor is just finding out about it the night before. This will definitely go well. The creature this week is a stinky goat, who will kill you by biting your shadow. This is Myths and Legends, episode 175, Surprises! This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories that might be new to you, but are definitely worth a listen. This week's episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Turn your great idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project. Whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind with beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. Head to squarespace.com slash myths for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code myths to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Like I said at the start, we are back in Norse mythology. You're probably like, hey, didn't that end like two years ago with everyone dying? Well, Yes, but we keep finding stories that work together to make episodes that I wouldn't have even thought of years ago. So today, we're telling four stories from the Poetic Edda, all bound together with the story of Thor. If you haven't heard any of the previous episodes, that's okay. Norse mythology is set in medieval Scandinavia. The main gods are Odin, his wife Frigg, his son Thor, there's sometimes ally, sometimes mortal enemy Loki, Freya, their kind of hostage kind of friend, and Heimdall, the Watcher. There are elves, trolls, dark elves, dwarves, which are basically dark elves who are good at crafting, and they all live among the nine worlds, the most important of which are Asgard, where the Aesir, so Thor, Odin, and the others live, and Midgard, where our world is. Today's story begins on Asgard, with Thor getting back from a work trip to Jotunheim, the world of the giants, and not being able to find anyone in his 540-room house. Thor walked into his house, tossed down his hammer, and kicked off his boots. It was good to be home. His house was humbly called the Place of Might. Though Thor probably joked that any place he went was the Place of Might. He yelled out that he was home from work. Hello? Anybody? Work was, of course, going to Jotunheim, the land of the giants, and killing as many giants as he could find. He smiled. It was good to be doing what he loved. When it came to the people he loved, though, well, they were nowhere to be found. I mean, what do you expect when you build a house with 540 rooms? It was the biggest house in all of Asgard, and his family was... somewhere? Hey, Thor! The God of Thunder heard from behind him. He turned around. Uh... hi? What are you and what are you doing in my house? The dwarf laughed. Oh, Thor, or should he say dad? No, no, you really shouldn't, Thor replied. What's going on here? The dwarf, who Thor just now noticed was wearing a tux, slapped his knee and laughed. Oh, dad, such a joker. The dwarf, named Alvis, said he was there to marry Thor's daughter. Like they talked about. Thor shook his head. The dwarf was gesturing like Thor was supposed to remember something. He didn't know what the dwarf was talking about. and Thor didn't like being confused. He held out his hand to draw his hammer to himself. Before remembering that that was not something he could do in the mythology. Uh It was last Thursday. the dwarf informed the son of Odin. Thor said that last Thursday was in Jotunheim killing... Wait, did he say Thor's day? Nice but no, that was impossible. He was out traveling. He was gone all week, and besides, he wouldn't give someone like him permission to marry his daughter. Someone like who? Just say it. It's because I'm a dwarf, the dwarf shouted. Thor nodded. Oh, absolutely. Buddy, this is Norse mythology. We are unapologetically horrible towards mythological dwarves. I mean, I punted a dwarf into a burning ship at my brother's funeral. It was hilarious and cheered everyone up a bit. Thor could see the dwarf taking a step back. There was no way he'd go for his hammer before the guy disappeared. They were quick. and They could turn invisible. 540 rooms and to have a vengeful dwarf loose in here, Thor would have to burn the place down before he found the thing. Thor showed the dwarf his hands. But, but, I could be wrong. I like my mead. We all do, Thor said. And the dwarf relaxed. Thor gestured to the bench. Did the dwarf want to have a seat so they could hash all this out? Thor's hammer would stay over there, don't worry about that. The dwarf was eventually coaxed to sit down and have a cup of mead. And, as Thor shared the table with Alvis, the dwarf noticed more and more that Thor was smiling. This, this was going well. Around mead three or four, Thor threw his arm around Alvis. He liked the clever guy, and just between Alvis Thor and the nearly limitless meat he had at the table. That's the way the world was going. Being clever. Going and smashing people's heads with hammers was awesome, but it was a dying industry. It was almost the year 1000. The times were a changin'. All of us took a swig. (sighs) Yeah. Millennials with their scrolls and writing things down. Oh, what? Are runestones not good enough for you now? All of us barked, and Thor pointed at him. This guy got it. But seriously, though, the weapons of the future weren't hammers. They were words. And Thor would be proud to have his daughter marry a man like Alvis. But only if Alvis was as he looked. Only if he was smart. Alvis nodded. Oh, he was smart. His name literally meant all wise. Alvis didn't want to brag, but he pretty much knew everything. Thor took another drink and nodded. See? This is what he wanted to hear. Lead with that next time. All right. Show me. All this was confused. Show him. Show him what? Thor looked at the dwarf like he was making complete sense. What did Thor mean, show him? Thor threw up his hands. All this the dwarf. What does he know? Does he know things? Let's find out. The dwarf asked if Thor wanted all of us to tell him literally all the information in the nine worlds. Thor looked to the window, to the snow starting to come down in the night. Yeah, yeah, that sounded good. All of us started pushing away the mead after hour three or four. He had already explained the full details of the creation of the universe. The dwarves, the elves, the giants, the Vanir, the clouds. Yes, the clouds. And part of this was Thor just throwing out a noun and asking the dwarf what they were called in each world. Clouds were called the hope of dew by the giants, the power of storms by the elves, hope of showers by the Acer, wind floaters by the Vanir, and concealing helmet in hell. That's H-E-L, hell. Thor asked what the sun was called. The Giants called it Everglow, Elves called it the Lovely Wheel, Aesir called it the All-Shining, and the Dwarves call it Dvalin's Plaything. The Vanir called the Ocean Rolling One, the Elves called it Liquid Fundament, the Dwarves called it Deep Ocean, and the Giants were probably the farthest off, with Eel Land. I'll list out all of these on the post on MythPodcast.com. And it does kind of help you understand the differences between the worlds and the different mythological cultures in Norse mythology. One thing I do have to point out, though, because I was an English major who took a course on modernist literature and I'm always on the lookout for unreliable narrators, is how do we know that this dwarf, who calls himself all-wise, can be trusted? I mean, Thor has never been the most academic of the Aesir. And as far as we know... All this’ is pronouncements are not peer-reviewed. It's just him and Thor, and the dwarf has every incentive to lie. I mean, the story appears to be playing things straight, but it's always kind of at the back of my mind. Anyway, after wood, fire, wind, crops, and night, Thor thought of a good one. The names of Odin. I'll go and list these on the post as well. There are a ton of them. And these were names that Thor actually knew, except for one. Wait, who is that? Grimnir? Alvis asked. Oh, th- that was Odin. Thor shook his head. Nope, his dad told him everything. That was wrong. It was hammer time, and not the puffy pants type, but the I'm gonna be cleaning dwarf out of my grout for days type. Alvis said that Odin took the name after he and his wife Frigg raised two sons together. Thor said that, yeah, they were great parents. They raised him in Baldr, Sure, Thor was a killing machine, and Balder was dead after Frigg's spell of protection left one pretty prominent back door that Loki exploited to kill him. But they were awesome parents. Alvis shook his head. No, it wasn't Thor and Balder. It was Agnar and Garriod. Thor cocked his head. All right, call him Fenrir. The time they tried to bind the wolf because he'll bite. Who were Agnar and Garriod? So Allvis stirred in on the story of the time Odin and Frigg raised two sons. Ones that weren't Thor and Baldr. It was after Baldr had been killed, and Odin's buddy Loki refused to weep for him and bring him back. Suffice it to say, Odin and Frigg were going through some stuff. So... When Frigg and Odin saw two kids adrift on the sea, they knew they had to help. They were two brothers, Agnar, who was 10 years old, and Garriod, who was only eight. When their boat finally skidded to a hard stop on a rocky shore, the boys became separated in the storm. Agnar found a wise old woman. Garriod found a stooped, one-eyed wanderer. Both boys were brought back to a glowing, warm cottage. It was nearly winter, so the elderly couple begged the boys to stay. The boys, who had no idea how to get home in Scandinavia in the winter, agreed. For a cottage so small, the boys were kept curiously separate. The one-eyed male wanderer imparted wisdom on the younger boy, while the wizened crone looked after the older. When spring came, the couple showed the boys to their boat and told them what direction to go to reach home. Before the boys shoved off, though, the one-eyed man pulled Garriott aside, and whispered something into his ear. The boy smiled, and the pair had favorable winds as they sailed north. When they reached home, it was still morning, so no one saw them sail in through the fog. Garriab was sitting in the front of the boat, and when the pair got close to land, he jumped out of the boat. Agnar rose to get out of the boat himself, but quickly dropped to the bottom of the boat. The boat was moving again. His brother, as soon as he touched land, turned, and gripped the boat. Go where the evil one may take you, he screamed, and pushed the boat. It seemed to glide with an unseen force back into the water. Agnar scrambled in the fog, but saw that the sails were slashed, and the oars had been tossed overboard at the last possible moment. Agnar was adrift. Garriod, however, was doing pretty great. When he got home, he found that his dad was dead, which was a bummer, but that, combined with his older brother's convenient extension of his vacation, meant that Garriab was now the king. A few years later, Odin and Frigg looked out from their home. Odin chuckled to himself and turned to his wife. Hey, remember a few years back when they raised kids for that winter? Let's play Where Are They Now? Frigg said it wasn't a competition. They were working through Baldur's death and why was her foster son in a cave? Odin laughed. Yeah, he totally won that one. Turned out they got separated just as they hit land. No idea how that happened. And Agnar drifted until he came to rest in a cave. Turned out a giantess lived there, and yada yada yada, he now had two half giant children. Meanwhile, Gary was named king after his father died and just expanded his kingdom. So, yeah, better parent, Odin. Odin laughed. At least she didn't try to protect Agnar. They all saw what happened the last time she did that. You know what? That's, that was a step too far. Too soon. Frigg pursed her lips. Something was up here. Her kid should have been a king. He was the older brother. Now he was in a cave with a giantess? She shook her head. Time to go nuclear. She turned to Odin. Your kid isn't very hospitable, Frigg said. Odin couldn't believe what he was hearing. If his eye patch was a monocle, it would have dropped into his mead. Oh yeah, Frigg said. Garriott is so stingy with food that he tortures his guests if it seems that too many have come. Frigg crossed her arms and sat back, surveying the devastation. Odin shook his head. She, she knew what she was saying, right? In Scandinavia, in the Middle Ages. That was almost as bad as it got to accuse someone of being a bad host. Hospitality is a massive deal in the medieval world. Frigg looked at her husband. Oh, sorry. Did she misspeak? Odin stood. Oh, no, no, no. She didn't get to say something like that. That his foster boy was inhospitable. He bet that Frigg was wrong. That his boy was super hospitable and would never, what, torture guests? That was insane. Frigg smirked. She'd take that bet. Odin shook his head. He'd have to go himself to make sure things were fair. He gripped the bottom of his cloak and pulled it up. In an instant, he wasn't the majestic king of the gods, with broad shoulders, golden armbands, and an air of authority. He was a hunched and scraggly wanderer, an old, one-eyed man that the world would overlook. He looked at Frigg and limped from the hall. We'll see what happens when Odin pays a visit to his foster son, but that will be right after this. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. Hey there, old man, Gary yelled at the old man who had just come in from the cold. The one-eyed old man yelled, Hey, his name was Grimnir. For maybe the first time on this podcast, no one suspected that the one-eyed Odinic Wanderer was Odin. Maybe Odin had been taking acting classes, who knows? The king and Odin's foster son, Garyot, said that they had a new tradition when it came to old men arriving mysteriously in their court. Cut to ten minutes later, when Grimnir was outside, on his knees, looking up at two massive hounds. He swallowed hard. What what was going on, buddy? Gary had nodded to the people holding the leads. Well, he said that depended on the hounds. Now, Odin was an acer. He was one of the gods, but that didn't mean he didn't feel pain and he absolutely didn't want this human suit he was wearing to be torn apart by dogs. So, just for the dogs, he would let a little bit of his power shine through. Of course, this was exactly what Frigg was banking on. Just minutes before Odin arrived, one of Frigg's handmates had arrived at Garriott's court, and she wasn't hiding anything. She arrived in the form of one of Frigg's messengers, saying that there was a wizard in these lands wandering in the guise of an old man in a blue cloak. He called himself Grimnir, and the way Garriod could know that this was the guy, other than him being an old man named Grimnir, wearing a blue cloak, was that dogs would not attack him. So that's how Odin ended up on his hands and knees in the mud, staring at two very uninterested dogs. With a flick of his wrist, Garriod ordered Grimnir up and into the hall, Now, the people of Norse mythology generally do not look upon magic favorably. And that's doubly true. If the Queen of the Gods comes to you and warns you that a wizard is coming, gary had asked Grimnir who the man was and what he wanted. But the one-eyed stranger only looked back with disdain. Inside, thinking two things. One, he raised this boy better than this, even though he raised him to abandon his older brother to his death. And two, he was totally gonna lose this bet. The loss became certain, though, when Garyad saw that Grimnir wasn't going to talk. So he had some fires built. The old man, Grimnir, was chained up within a foot of two blazing fires. Not close enough to set him ablaze, but close enough to keep his skin constantly searing. Grimnir screamed, and Garyad smirked. The king said that he would be back when the wizard was ready to talk. And the wizard talked. He talked about a lot of things, just none of it relevant to the king. Over the next eight days and nights, 192 hours total, Odin screamed in agony as his flesh was seared by the fires on either side. He talked about all the awesome halls in the nine worlds. You see, everything up to this point was just kind of a prologue to the real meat of the story, Odin imparting wisdom about the world around him. To be fair, these poems make up a lot of what we know about Norse mythology. So if this story didn't become an encyclopedia entry, we might not know that a goat stands on the roof of Valhalla, with mead flowing from udders, or the names of Odin's ravens that go around the world and gather information for him, and stuff like that. It's really helpful and interesting from a mythological and anthropological perspective, but not so much from a storytelling standpoint. So we're just going to pass over this part. I'll link this original story in the show notes, if you really want to dive in deep. The only person that came in to see Odin when he was randomly screaming out facts over the next few days was Agnar, who was not Garriod's older brother, but Garriod's son, who was, I guess, named such because Garriod wanted to honor his older brother, but not so much that he didn't want the actual Agnar to live in a cave. The 10-year-old Agnar, once again, his son, not his older brother, had the very reasonable point that it probably wasn't a good idea to be torturing a wizard. He would sneak grim near water every few days. It was difficult for Odin to be wrong. Almost as difficult as watching the boy he had saved and spent the better part of three months raising just sit there and watch him be tortured for hours on end. Even worse than that, he was wrong and he lost a bet with his wife. It killed him. I mean, not literally killing him like the fire, but, you know, worse. Gary had just sat there, with a naked sword on his lap. Maybe a threat, maybe a promise of relief to the wizard, that this could all be over if the wizard just told him... whatever it was he was hoping to glean from torturing a wizard. Odin spent eight days, perhaps hoping that his foster son would come around, that he could engender enough pity in the man to get him to stop. But it didn't work. He might still lose... Gary had still tortured a guest for absolutely no reason, as far as Odin knew, but at least the king of the Aesir could save face. But when most of his face had been burned away, Odin decided that it was about time to call it. Even though he had spent the last several days spouting off facts about the universe, and even though it's usually shockingly easy to see through Odin's disguises, Gariad didn't get it, until Grimnir said, after a long list of names that Odin went by, quote, Odin, am I called now? Terrible one, I was called before. And he just goes on and lists a few more of his names, because honestly, he cannot help himself. Garriod's jaw dropped. It was Odin. He owed Odin everything. Odin took him in as a boy. He taught him to be ruthless and dispatch his own brother for the throne. He was the reason Garriod was the ruler of all these lands. He jumped up to his feet to rush over to Odin because the first thing you do when you realize you've accidentally been burning the King of the Acer for eight days is to stop burning the King of the Acer. Little pro tip there. Garry had rushed over, but he forgot about one small, sharp detail. The sword he had drawn and sat across his lap clanged to the ground as he rushed over. The hilt of the sword bounced on the floor and the tip of the sword found Garriod's chest as the man tripped and stumbled in his haste. He died in seconds. His whole court shocked. As Odin tore his chains from the wall, he turned to his foster son's son. Congrats, kid. You're now the king. As soon as Odin walked through the doorway of the hall, he teleported back to Asgard. Back to his home, where Frigg was sitting, waiting. She looked at him, still wearing his burned human suit. He was gone for a while. How'd everything go? Did his son treat old men with respect? Odin looked to the ground. Uh, not exactly. Frigg stood, looking at his burned face. Oh, did Odin know he had a little bit of... Odin swattered her hands away. He knew, he knew. She was right, okay? The guy tortured Odin for eight days. Odin just didn't get it. I mean, he didn't single out any of the other old men in his court, just Grimnir. Oh well, he guessed he would never figure it out. He was gonna go change, take a long bath, and have some mead. As Odin limped off, Frigg returned to her chair, sat back, and smirked. Even with his ability to see the future, even with his ravens that traveled the worlds each day and told him everything, she was still able to trick the trickster. Wait, isn't Loki the trickster of Norse myth? Thor asked. Alvis, the dwarf, nodded. I mean, yeah, he's the big one, but Odin still does plenty of things worthy of the name. It was now like 3 or 4 a.m., and Thor's questions hadn't let up. His family was asleep somewhere in the house, and Alvis was still able to answer anything Thor threw at him. As they delved into the kings of Denmark, though, Alvis smiled. He had another story. Had Thor ever heard of the millstone Grotti and of Fenya and Menja? Fenya and Menja were singing, but not by choice. They had been bought by the Danish king, Frodi, when he went to Sweden. He needed someone to work the magical millstone. Grotti, no man was big enough to work it, but it was said that anyone who could move the stones would have anything they wished for. So, naturally, this job was entrusted to two women Frodi enslaved, chained to the millstone, and whipped, lest they stop moving for more than a few minutes at a time. Frodi could hardly believe it at first. As the women sang their wishes, gold spilled from the millstone. Frodi had slaves running back and forth for days, only to clear a path so the women could keep walking, keep grinding. This went on for weeks, until Frodi decided to take a break with the gold he decided that he would go a bit more intangible. Peace for his kingdom. Through grunts and screams, the women were commanded to sing. And over the course of days, people became more and more peaceful in Denmark. Not only were medieval Scandinavia's many murders down, but Snorri tells us that if a son met the man who killed his father, he couldn't even bring himself to hurt that man. A gold ring could rest on the Moors undisturbed forever. This was very nearly counterproductive, because you can't whip people if you can't bring yourself to harm them. But Frodi was happy to see that even without the incentive, the women continued grinding. They started adding to the song, though. They sang of their home, of how they weren't just very buff women, they were very buff giants. They had been the daughters of Thjazi, who had made the ill-advised choice of trusting Loki and paid for it with his life. As most do. They had lifted mountains, killed berserkers, and wrestled with the giants. Now, they were being held as slaves, the mud eating into their bare feet, and the cold seeping deeper and deeper into their bones, through the rags the king had given them. They demanded rest. (laughs) The king laughed. Well, they might have been born in Jotunheim, but they were Midgard now, and they were his slaves. They didn't get to demand anything. He raised the whip but he didn't use it. They scowled and continued singing their song of peace for the Danish kingdom. Frodi grinned and went to bed. A few hours later, Frodi was sprinting down the hall. He burst through the door to find them resting, sweat-soaked by the mill. What had they done? The women, for the first time, met his smile with smiles of their own. Sometime in the night, their song had changed from one of peace and serenity to one of fire, spears, and, quote, slaughter-stained weapons, to a song of war. The women had ground out an army. They could all now hear screams from outside. The watchers on the wall, they had been influenced by the giant song of peace. They weren't even fighting back as the invaders poured over and killed them without hesitation as they heard the fighting coming for them from down the hall, the women sighed. We've ground, Frodi, to the point where we must stop. The women have done a full stint of milling. The invading army burst through the door, and King Frodi never left that room. The short era known as Frodi's Peace died a violent death. Maybe Fengya and Mengya specified in their song that the attacking army would be kind to them, and the attacking army was, but when they saw the women and the fabled millstone, Grotti, the giantesses weren't freed, but simply sent as slaves from one king to another. This time it was the Sea King, a man by the name of Meising. The Sea King might sound like some sort of mystical guy, but he was just a normal Viking-era king. It varies in different areas exactly what this meant. In some places, it's just the name of a more powerful than normal chief while in others, it's the title of a man who's given up his inheritance to roam the seas. The takeaway here, though, is that Thinga and Minga are still slaves to a king, but now they're on a boat. Since Mising was the king of the seas, he knew the value of a good trade. And what was one of the most important things in the ancient and medieval world? Salt. At this time, salt still had to be mined from the ground in an extremely dangerous and costly way, If he could have an inexhaustible source of salt, well, he would have an inexhaustible source of riches. If you're thinking, hey, why not maybe just go for the gold right away? Well, that was boring. And maybe he wanted to use some of the salt to preserve his own stuff. You know, fringe benefits. The women blinked. Really? The only reason he even had that stone was because they summoned him with their song. He should not make the same mistake as Frodi, or else he might meet a similar fate. The giants stopped talking when the sea king lifted his spear, saying that they were strong. With the right motivation, he thought that maybe just one giantess was needed for the job. Did they want to test that? The women looked to the deck. No. No, they didn't. He smirked. Good at grinding. That's how, of course, the sea king awoke to his ship sinking. He wanted salt, so he got salt. They made so much salt that the weight of it tore through the boat and dropped into the sea. The women worked so fast, grinding in a circle, that they created a whirlpool, and as they descended deeper and deeper into the depths, they pulled the sea king and many of his boats down with them, the women were chained to the millstone, so they knew that they would never get out. But it was enough to take yet another greedy, merciless king down with them. Something they didn't intend, though, was that the millstone, with the motion of the whirlpool, kept grinding. Their last wish on the ocean floor was salt, so the millstone kept spitting out salt. Soon, salt permeated the entire ocean, which up to that point had been fresh water. They say that Grotti's millstone is still moving, still grinding, adding salt to the ocean to this day. Wow! So that's how the ocean became salty fun story Thor said all this weighted uh, nothing else no other takeaways from those two stories nothing about mistreating guests or nothing where a despotic prince forced an underling to do menial and pointless work to his own detriment hmm alright new king they're on to Sweden now right Thor looked outside again truly did not matter yes he-, he meant yes he was testing the suitor's knowledge to see if this man was gonna be his future son-in-law. He absolutely cared about all of this. All of this narrowed his eyes and began telling the story of King Nithuth of Sweden. Wait, Thor stopped him. His name was Hater? What does that translate to directly? Bitter hater? Hmm, I wonder who's the villain in the story. Like, which parent names their kid Bitter Hater? You're pretty much deciding their whole life, Thor said before taking another swig. All of us nodded. Yes, his name did literally translate to bitter hater. Now, would Thor please let him tell the story? Anyway, the story isn't about King Hater. Yet, it is about the best possible outcome of three guys arriving upon three Valkyries, bathing in the river. Valkyries, Thor bellowed. He knew those women. They were cool, super scary too, by the way. Odin's shield maidens. They went around the battlefields, finding men who had died honorably and taking them to party at Valhalla so they would fight for Odin at Ragnarok, the end of the world. All of us said he knew that. He knew everything. Focus up, come on. Anyway, Egil, Slagfith, and Volund were all sons of the Finnish king and also maybe elves. Who knows? who met three Valkyries out bathing. One thing led to another, and the three pairs ended up dating. For nine years. It was going well, until the Valkyries were called away. They had tarried on Midgard long enough. And they were dead to collect in Mirkwood. But not that Mirkwood. I mean, it was a murky wood that may or may not contain giant spiders and a necromancer. Tolkien was a huge Norse mythology nerd, so I guess let's not split hairs here. After nine winters the brothers came home from hunting for food. And what essentially were their common-law spouses were gone. The Valkyries left without so much as a note. Egil and Slagfith took, well, everyone to go look for the women. Whether the women had left them willingly or were taken was of little difference to the princes. They wanted their Valkyrie girlfriends back and they were going to put every resource at Finland's disposal to find them. Voland decided to stay in one spot with the hopes that his Valkyrie girlfriend would return to him. His brother shrugged and left. Now, Villan was one of the best smiths of medieval Scandinavia. So he passed the time in his big empty home by making rings, you know, leveling up that smithing skill. Around ring 700, he had a lot of free time, he decided to take a nap. And that's how he awoke to a sword at his throat. King Hader, King Nithuth of Sweden, learned that the princes in Finland couldn't really take a hint when it came to breakups and took all their guys on an endless hunt. When they learned they could conquer the kingdom in Finland and capture one of the best smiths in the world, well, the latter was just icing on the cake. The 700 rings were a nice little bonus. Because Volin didn't want to be the internal prisoner of a Swedish king who had tortured him if he didn't make nice things, Volan ran. Once. Then King Hader cut the sinews on the back of his knees and imprisoned him on an island. Now, the only one allowed on the island was King Hader, and virtually no one knew that Voland had been taken. His brothers were going from battlefield to battlefield, looking for their girlfriends on a ceaseless, fruitless journey. No one knew that he was imprisoned, except the royal family. King Hader had given one of Voland's 700 rings to his daughter, Bodhild and the whole family had marveled at Volan's work. One day, the smith got a message. It wasn't from the king, but from the two princes, asking if they could come in secret to see the treasure hoard that their father had commissioned. Volan thought about this. Could, Could it really be this easy? He wrote back that if they wanted to check out the treasure hoard, then they should come alone, leave in secret, and tell no one where they were going. As he sent the letter back with the messenger, he knew that this would never work, but hey, it was worth a shot. So he was surprised when, a few days later, it worked. A ship appeared on the horizon. It was the brothers, the two little haters. They announced that they had done everything he told them. Let's go get a look at that treasure hoard. The smith limped over it. Really? Okay, well, it was just in the caves here, just past his forge. They would walk past the swords set in gold, and if they would be so kind to have their backs to him while looking on his Scrooge McDuck treasure vault, and wow, yeah, they just let him do it. He was surprised how easy it was to cut off their heads. The hardest part about this the whole thing was burying them, turning their gilded skulls into cups, and turning their eyes into gemstones. Their mom and dad, King and Queen Hater, didn't make the connection between the deaths of their sons and the beautiful cups and gemstones they got, the one that their smith slave sent them. And life continued on, until Voland received another letter. This time it was from Botthild, King Hader's daughter. She said that she was so scared to tell her father and mother, but the ring from his hoard had broken. Voland said it was no problem, just come to his island alone and he would fix it for her. The story says that they fell in love, But it also says that Voland, quote, "...overcame her with beer and avenged his sorrow." So, I'll let you kind of read into that what you will. Bothill does appear to have fallen for the smith, in some capacity, because she was reluctant to leave him. But life had to go on, and the longer she was away from court, the more suspicious everyone would be. Hey... "'Feel better,' Queen Hater heard from above. "'She looked up and saw the elf King Voland, "'the smith they had imprisoned on the island. "'He was flapping in the sky on golden wings. "'He looked from side to side. "'Oh, these? Yeah. "'He could make these the whole time. "'He was waiting for his revenge to be complete. "'Seriously, though, why was she crying?' "'The queen, still stunned,' said that she was crying because no one had heard from her sons in weeks. Volan said that that was an easy one. He was an elf, he knew things. Did she want to know what happened to her sons? If so, he needed a promise from her. She nodded, anything. He said, as long as she promised not to hurt his new wife or child, he would tell her. The queen, eager for anything, said yes, please, tell her. Volan nodded, well, if she went to his forge on the island... You know, the one where they had taken his legs from him and enslaved him? They would find a cave covered in blood. Volan hadn't cleaned it for this very purpose, and now he could tell them. He killed their sons, and she and her husband had been drinking from their skulls every day for weeks. Which, why would you do that anyway? Don't drink from skulls. Period. Oh, and those gemstones on the queen's brooch? Yeah, those were their eyes. Once again, elf magic. Now that she knew the truth, though, she and the king couldn't go after his wife and child, which, plot twist, was their daughter Bodhild and her unborn child. He flapped his wings. All right, seeing as he was too high for anyone to reach, quote, even if they were standing on horseback, he was out of here. Have fun claiming and raising his child as their heir and also maybe treat your workers with a modicum of respect, especially if they're magical elves. With that, he flew to Asgard, and he lived happily ever after. Thor snapped a finger. He knew Volund, the elf guy with the wings. Good guy. I mean, horrifying guy. But really, who wasn't in Norse mythology? He turned back to all of us and smiled. This had been a good night he could see that Alvis was everything the dwarf had presented himself to be, and more. He put his hand on the dwarf's shoulder and looked the bean in his eyes. He would be proud to call Alvis his son. Did Alvis accept? Alvis? Thor stepped back. Oh, 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 that's right. When sunlight hits dwarves, they turn to stone. And Thor wasn't wrong. All this had been so engrossed in his story that he hadn't noticed the early morning sunbeam creeping across the room. When he finished his final story about Voland and King Hader, a whole world's worth of knowledge conveyed in a night, the sunlight touched him, turning him irreversibly into stone. Thor stood there and tapped his foot. Well, then I can't marry her to you, Alvis. This is a huge honor for a dwarf, and your silence... Ugh. Just makes me so angry. I won't be mad if it's a no, but to not respond at all, all Alvis? Ugh, that's it. Thor took his hammer and, in one lightning-packed smash, reduced the stone Alvis to gravel. It was then that his family came running. What was all that noise? Thor's daughter asked. Why was there bits of stone all over their house? Thor gestured to the stone. These rocks? That was her husband. He laughed. Ah, Just kidding. Dad stuff. All right, what's for breakfast? His daughter got serious. About that. You see, she had actually met someone. He was a wonderful, brilliant man. And just last Thursday, she had pledged herself to marry him. He was a dwarf, but she told him that her father would understand. Because she loved him. Thor stood frozen with a shocked smile on his face and stepped in front of his daughter, blocking her view of the face that remained unbegraveled on the ground. Oh? Well, yeah, I mean, the heart wants what it wants. If she loved him, Thor would love him too. When was he supposed to stop by? Oh, today? Awesome. Well, Thor would get all this cleaned up and he looked forward to meeting the dwarf. Oh, hope he showed up though. Those dwarves, they were tricky. Her old man could be trickier though. She looked to her dad. This was a weird tangent, but okay. Thor smiled. He was just excited. His daughter was getting married. Her eyes widened. Seriously? He approved? Thor hugged his daughter. You know what? If she approved, he approved. When the dwarf showed up, they'd give him the good news thor's daughter held him close and said he was the best dad ever thor kicked the stone door face back and it shattered against a wall yes yes he was full disclosure the Sayings of All Wise, as it's called in some versions, though starting with Alvís surprising Thor and ending with him turning to stone, do not include the three stories we told today. Those are elsewhere in the Poetic Edda. But the story does include Alvís spending all night telling Thor details about the nine worlds, so it wasn't a stretch to use that as a way to tell the other stories. The story ends abruptly with Thor's unlikely outwitting of the dwarf. There's some support in the story and interpretations that indicate that the daughter did actually want to marry all So that's why I included the little wrap-up at the end. Next week, there's an all-new episode. But if in the meantime you'd like to support the show beyond leaving a review or telling a friend, there's always a membership at mythpodcast.com slash membership, and the Myths and Legends store is back up and running. There are posters, sticker packs, t-shirts. Check it out. You can find the store at mythpodcast.com slash store. The creature this week is the Segbin, from the folklore of the Philippines. The Segbin is a large, dark, hornless, smelly goat. Also, it's invisible during the day. Sometimes. That, in itself, isn't bad. What is bad, however, is that the Segbin can kill you with a look, or by biting your shadow. On the long list of things to worry about in this world, I bet you didn't think smelly goat bites on your shadow would be a thing, If a dying person happens to be around the Segbin, the Segbin will drain off and consume their life. And any child who falls prey to the smelly goat will have their heart made into a magical amulet, which will then be used for magical powers, sometimes by wizards. That part was unclear. Even though the Segbin will kill you, it will not eat you, as I guess it just hunts for sport. Preferring to gorge itself on charcoal, pumpkins, and corpses... Yeah, I guess a human that it's killed itself, pass. A corpse that's been ripening for a few days, bon appetit. If you catch it in its goat form though, it'll just pretend to eat grass until you leave. It doesn't actually eat grass though, that'd be gross. It has a corpse to get back to. It has a number of other forms that include a long-legged frog, a locust, and another goat with floppy ears you can always figure out what the seg is because, in any form, it stinks. And wild animals never stink. If you want to keep the seg away, it hates thick smoke and the clanging of knives. So that makes sleeping in your house very easy to keep away the stinky goat that can kill you by biting your shadow. Just build a fire with thick black smoke in your room and sleep with a bunch of knives. Okay, I don't think I need to say this, but please don't do that. That's it for this week. Myths and Legends is by Jason and Carissa Weiser. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to even more music in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time.